0: Okay, back. Season two, episode five. I'm here with the man in New York, Rob Rahil, and the man in Portland, not wearing the trailblazers this time, Aaron Orndorff. I'm Chase Moseni, somewhere in my garage, recording this one. Really excited to chat with you guys about B2B SaaS, all things uh, marketing. How you guys doing? It's cold.
1: Cool. We are not built for the cold weather here in Portland. I haven't left my house in four or five days. So you're gonna, yeah. You are going gonna—you think I'm energetic normally? This is like so much adult contact I'm about to get, and and our, our dear <laughs> listeners are going to benefit from it so much. It's an ice winter wonderland here. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah I'll, I'll just warm up to your faces.
0: Yeah. How, how's it. NYC in the real, in the real cold?
2: Oh, I mean, it's great. I, I love this city, dude. I love this city. Great humans out here. Staying at a nice place, got to do the Chew on this event last night, got to hang out with a bunch of wonderful humans. Love the city, top four city.
1: We should do a whole episode just on the beast mode that you go into when you hit the ground running. It's um, staggering to me. The the amount of streets you hit, locations you drop into, the people you connect with. I'm in awe of it. We should just, I don't know how, how you manage that. You guys just gassing me up. This is yeah, yeah I'm, down for, I'm down for that. I'm down for that episode. Yeah, I'm down for that episode.
0: Well, today I think what we're gonna do, we're gonna have a, a main topic which will lead into about the innovators' dilemma, but like what's what's going on in the market that you guys are excited about? What's what's been uh what's been going down that's um you've been texting people about or looking at and uh, and researching.
1: You wanna go for a sale or what, what do you got? No, you got this. I am not the topical guy. We we should know this by now. I'm the chime in. Uh, was- <laughs>
2: i love that i heard a a really interesting analogy where you're either the car or the trailer and they're both super important but the car pulls things and the trailer like houses stuff and brings along big big things so anyway and i think you're you're like a a el camino you're you're the car and the truck You're, you're the double threat but speaking of double threat So for people that know me, they know I'm really big into Notion. We're we're actually, Chase and I, and I need to unveil it to AO as well. I'm working on this really cool, actually, system that's built into Notion um, for all of the marketing stuff, pretty much everything that I run the marketing department from. But one of the challenges was all of my content, all the big marquee milestones, all the things were in the Notion calendar. And so I was like, okay, how can I? And then, so I was trying to hack away in Zapier, like if this happens, add this event, but not from this calendar, blah, blah, blah. Come to find out, Notion acquires Cron, which is was kind of like a fantastic Cal-esque, like just a, another calendar and app, essentially with scheduling, yada, yada, yada. And now I can have all of my calendars in there and you can bring in any Notion database that has a calendar view. And so now I can see everything. So not only my personal calendar, my work calendar but also work events that aren't like because work events out with maybe a month out two months out what have you because i plan in quarters you don't have a party pool so there's not like a there's not an event that's holding it so i have a placeholder for the events in notion on the notion calendar and it's the the icons atrocious that i will give you but it is phenomenal i've been so smitten with it and it's kind of that last piece of the puzzle for me because now i have calendaring Now I have Slack for my comms, and now I have Notion for all the project management as well as the kind of archival resources, assets, et cetera. I'm super smitten with it. I think it's such a stellar integration slash purchase, and it just really goes to show you when you really understand the needs of your users. And it also goes to show you, I would argue Notion probably has the best community on the planet. And not only have the best community on the planet, they have kind of tiers of it where you can become a Notion ambassador. So when these things drop, it, you can't escape it. So I don't know, twelve out of ten. I, I'm just yeah. super smitten with the, the product. And when people innovate on the right vectors, when you understand that job to be done, man, it just it feels so. Yeah, no notes. Notion has just been. I've been so so happy with it. Very very cool.
1: This is what I'm so curious about, in that is so. Was Chrome already, like, where is there a, an, an overlap Venn diagram of Notion users and Chrome? Were there people already trying to build integrations to make them work together? How did this, like, were you able to see, because you're far more tied into that community than myself, of how they identified this as, it's, a, it's one of those, it's obvious when you see it, but why they didn't just, like, make their own at some point. I mean, that's one of those pieces where I'm always a little bit, like, curious. Yeah.
2: It's the it's the old adage, right? Build it or buy it. Yeah. What you got? They got tons of money. Like I don't even like. What's Crunchbase, Chase? Give me
0: some numbers, here. But they, they uh, raise I will, I will do it in real time. But that was that was kind of my and, uh, my thinking was. It was like okay, we can go buy some users and we can just plug it in rather than having to. And so it's got a, fun, a bunch of functionality that already works. They probably, I'm sure there was some sort of integration already set up so that they, they knew already that
2: had, energies. So, so Cron had a little bit of a a, a light notion integration, not as yeah. as intimate now as it is, but yeah, that that was our there was a there there. So it was it was kind of like Notion curious. It was the only calendar and app that, but it wasn't Notion compelling curious. enough yeah. to like pull me away. Yeah. This I'm, I'm a big Fantastical guy. This might move me. And Ao had a really good pushback. He's like, dude, but how am I going to schedule? They have scheduling as well. So now oh. this replaces my calendar. Lead, this replaces my Fantastical. <laughs> yeah. And it merges my two kind of workspaces of Notion and my personal calendar and my work yep. calendar. Net, yeah. net, net win.
0: Notion 10 Billy uh, in 2021. Series C have not raised since because they're so flush.
2: They've raised 10 bills?
0: No, no, no. They were at 10 Bill. Was there, was there last? No, how
2: much have they raised? Yeah, uh, how much I think have they raised?
0: They've raised
2: oh, I think it's a couple bills. It's yeah, I think lot.
0: they've raised quite a bit it's not saying publicly how much they raised
2: too long didn't read when you have money it's people have this misperception that these big companies can just build whatever they want really quickly and that's just not how it works it's actually paradoxical because the more you're into the company like the slower you are you just you just have so many politics barriers Ah. etc that People think like you can ship whatever you want, and unless you're carving out like these little Steel Team Sixes that don't have the attachment to the main army, if you're in the developer of the main army, dude, it's very hard to ship as you get bigger and bigger and bigger. All these complex things where I can yeah. just buy this thing, I work on the integration a little tighter, and then boom, off I go and I have a product, and my engineers aren't taken off of what they're already working on.
0: Three hundred forty-two million dollars raised to date over seven rounds. Not as That's much as I thought. not as much as I thought. Yeah. Yeah, the, on them, that's dude. super impressive. That's super incredible. impressive. I can't yeah, that's
2: my car about Prong. It's the Notion calendar. Go check it yeah. out. It's super awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm super bullish on that. Uh, reminds me of we talked about last time, Loom being pot, bought uh, by Atlassian, and it made a lot of sense. I almost feel like this makes even yep. more sense, to be honest with you. Like, it just plugs in really, really well. And I think Notion has done an incredible job of already doing integrations to all this stuff. Like, you can naturally embed a Loom like you could be a marketing team and use it for one thing. You could be a, an engineering team, and use it for another thing. And like it plugs into Jira. So engineering will never use it. I've seen someone bashing in it. Yeah.
1: They're gonna go
0: live in Jira for sure. You're right. Yo,
1: I don't know. There okay, there has to be some spreadsheet startup quasi-competitor to Google Sheets, but the second notion actually builds a functional sheet version like something like that that's the only thing that i absolutely hate nation notion for is the ability to like just let me have a table that uses formulas you come on do,
2: you can do some pretty awesome stuff with the databases but they aren't very intuitive so the formulas are a little confusing and they're always i mean this is actually a perfect dovetail into the main topic they're never going to be better than google sheets but if i can get it to of the way there, 70% of the way there, I can start to bring you over, or or you just might live in Google Sheets forever, but their database capabilities are fantastic, but databases and spreadsheets are the same, same, but different if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's where I still see like the divide between pure workflow management, which is like the Mondays of the world. Mm -hmm. Asana, what have you. Yeah the whole spreadsheet category, which then Airtable is trying to inherit and take over and make that, yeah. Uh, And then I'm still like uh, an Asana when it comes to actually tasks and getting projects done.
2: Oh, So I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I would just say the one challenge with Notion is the cold start problem. And they do a great job with templates, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't know how information flows through your company or your workflows or whatever, and you don't have the mind to set things up, it's really challenging. That's where like an Asana is gonna be better because Asana has guardrails. They force you through workflows for better or worse, but they're there. And so it's way easier to adopt something if you don't know what you're doing. You're like, okay, cool, just tell me how to do it and I'll do it. But when you want to have all the bells and whistles and you want to have all the customization and somebody might be using Loom, but they can drop it in there. And so you can build this macro process that is agnostic of every platform. And so you can house everything and you don't have to tell people there's no, basically there's no edge cases with Notion. Whereas Asana, you'll bump into weird stuff that you're like, oh, I can't do it that way. So I have to do it this way, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's the, the one caveat with Notion is if you don't know how to use it, pay somebody to build it. If not, it's going to be really overwhelming and you're not going to have a great experience with it or buy an Asana or a Monday or something like that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. those already have predetermined paths.
1: But that's also too so I uh, I was late to the party on reading 100 million dollar offers what's that yeah, I don't yeah, even yeah. know the guy starts the yeah, yeah. Alex so, all right I was super late to the party read that over the Christmas break and one of the things that really stood out to me though is the more you have to pay to get in like you've got to have skin in the game for something yeah. to feel valuable to you and I guess one of the things that Notion does really well is there's a pretty steep learning curve. Now they've got a rabid community. And I guess even like more than I knew of like the tiers of users so that when I was first experimenting with it and I took it to any form of social media, they had evangelists that were out there ready to drop. Some were free, some were paid, but people just loved it so much. And I think that reflects the amount of work that they've actually put into using it. And I can almost see it in your eyes when you talk about it as well, is there's an investment that takes place that, does create really sticky experiences where once you've got skin in the game and you've bled a little bit for it and you've had a bit of a breakthrough, that's another big point of like, how do you engineer that sort of, it's difficult, it's difficult, it clicks, right? And what's the, 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 how far is someone willing to go to experience that click? Like how soon does the endorphin hit need to be before it just becomes too difficult to actually master? But once you cross that line, yeah, there are a few communities that I've seen where for free, for the most part, folks are just willing to jump in and they love to flex on it too. Mad education
2: vectors and super awesome on Notion because you can build templates so you can really easily have people either download your work or understand what's going on. And I can basically just plug and play um, from X to Y to Z and I can get like basically the system that I'm building out, like you'll be able to basically just download it into your Notion workspace and off you go, you'll customize it and do whatever you want. But that that's something that is so interesting because it's almost, the there's that adage of like, do you want to go like get gold or sell Axe Picks or like Picks? And I think that's what Notion has done a really good job is like, they don't care about the gold in the
1: hills. They're just selling people Axe Picks. And honestly too, like from a B2B perspective, HubSpot does a really good job of this as well. Yes. And from a, like, D2C side of things, Clavio, I would say, is that at least the one that gets the most, like, there's a lot of friction. And then once people unlock it and they figure it out and know how to do it, they're they're fucking bought in. And they both have their own free evangelist communities as well, where people love to flex on what they've figured out. uh, And it just breeds and it continues. So well put. And, like, the fancy term
2: that an economist would use is um, lock-in. And so once I'm just bought into the system and I put so much time in here, like I'm so locked in. I'm not, I'm not going to move everything. Like the, the, the switching costs are so high. I'm not going to move my systems out from Klaviyo. I'm like, like, that's why I think Jimmy's doing some great stuff. I mean, it distorts the economics a little bit, but like, he, he'll like, Hey, I'll move you for you. I'll move everything over for you kind yes. of stuff because yeah. there's a huge amount of switching costs and not only switching costs, but the educational vectors, SOPs, like, Once you get to that layer of depth in either a company or an agency or a person, man, that's a even if the thing's 10x better, 20x better, there's so much anxiety and there's also the endowment effect of like, it's mine and I built
1: it, so I value it more than it's actually worth. And there's hardcore sunk costs too that are involved in it as well, where I've put in so much work to make this do the thing that I want it to do. I'm not giving that up, even if it's better.
0: I think they probably did a bunch of uh, studies on how much market share somewhere like Calendly has and said essentially like, hey, we know that this is another on-ramp for people getting really deep with our product so that there are switching costs and sunk cost bias within that. And so like, the idea is like, okay, we know that we're essentially, quote unquote, based on what we've built, feature complete. We know we're feature complete on community. Okay, what can we do to expand our user base and or uh, because we're not going to necessarily expand like our initial pricing tier, we just no. get teams in. But how can we get more people in to start so that we can expand them? Like how does Slack get more than three people in and like expand it? And it's always like the contagion effect, right? We just need a few different people to to be bought in so that we can get in. So, for instance, if you're looking for a calendar app, like oh, I've heard of this notion or oh, I like Cron or oh, I'm looking for these things. It's just another way for them to get you within their ecosystem. It's like, oh, by the way, do you do this kind of work? Oh, check this out for free. And they can just pump freemium because they have so much dollars. They have so many dollars to be able to throw at it. And against like at economies of scale with them, like that versus CAC is, is marginal.
2: 90 percent of these communities are zero like I think some of the top tier investors get yeah. some quasi compensation yeah, but I would I would argue 90% of the people that are posting it's either for self like you were saying AO hey, oh, like uh, flexing or they have some sort of like paid product which good on them
1: like you know what I mean like they did the work and the blah 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 and they sell the thing but uh, it's spot on chicks. but it's like 99 bucks it's so like it's so reasonable. So, like just you built the thing, I'll use it. Awesome. It's going down, dude.
0: I have that and it's uh it's happening. Is uh I wonder, do they sync like multiple calendars on that too?
2: It's multiple calendars, dude. As long as oh, you Google it. A- a- is going to the That's, yeah. So that was the other thing where I was seeing all these really cool uh, tutorials. Um so for people that don't know, there's a really cool way to build your day out called time blocking, where essentially if you're ADD like me and you squirrel. I block all my hours and there's only one goal for that. And so you can now have all your tasks in Notion with all the fancy stuff. And then they show up on your calendar. And then you can just click right into the task and then it opens up all the notes and everything. Like I mean, I love Happy Flow, but it's totally like it's done. It's done. Like it's the perfect merging for me, anyways, where now you can all these productivity systems can now be built in such an easy, flawless way and the other thing is going back to lock in the more and more i think he might have lost power he was saying his uh, power was going out the more and more i put stuff in there the more powerful it's almost like a a pseudo network effect like the more of my information that's in notion the more powerful notion becomes because i can query i can link things i can like i can build a doc right but i have on my brand page i have all the fonts and all the colors and all i do is at brand and then it links that page in there, and so now you just have this nice nesting of everything. Nothing's ever lost. You can search for stuff. Their AI is getting really interesting, really quickly. So anyway, I, I won't Q&A go A dude, anymore.
0: Wild. Dude, the QA <laughs> is pretty. Like if you said, "What's the Mount Rushmore of uh, of tech products right now?" Like current one, Notion, Slack. Have you noticed uh, the Catch Up feature that they launched? No, same more. Oh, dude, 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 dude. So this was going to be my kind of like, hey, what's what's up? You go into there, there is, you know, there's like threads, there's DMs, like all the new nav that they put yeah. on the top. You go there and it says catch yep. up. You click there and it shows you all of the things you've missed, whether they're from channels, this, that. And yeah. you can just swipe, swipe right, swipe left, like you're on Tinder and just say, uh, mark as red or keep for later. Wow, I have to play with this. I actually Dude, don't it have sock on it, my I launched this week. I have. Okay. I have abused that thing in the best way possible. It is like, it is such a brilliant. It's funny because I was very anti the the way that they set up the the left hand nav.
2: You know, you, you get used to things. You wrote a pretty good piece on it, I thought. Was that a tweet? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, wrote, I wrote, wrote one about like why, why I thought it, I thought it was
0: kind of kind of clunky. But what they've done with kind of the workflow management side of it it's starting to get super interesting. Like you can set reminders for yourself later. You can save for later and it has a save for later tab, which you can set a time where you want a reminder for it. Similarly, you can check out like what you've missed. It's just, they're they're starting to do kind of meet your customers where they are and understand that there's yeah. a certain amount of workflow management that needs to be taken yep. because Slack can get, I didn't want to tell you about my Slack, but it can get incredibly, incredibly daunting to go in there. Like there are some days I look at it and I'm like, dude, I don't even want to, I don't even want to, I just want to turn this off.
2: Do you section your slacks?
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm,
2: I'm with you though. There's a, I have yet to find a good protocol around it, so that's why I've been doing more batch communications in Slack. Yeah, because I find if not, I'll just go squirrel, 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 and I end up burning two hours on very low value generating activities of just like yeah. checking in with people or hey, what's doing this? Or, what's doing? like, I, I don't know. I love Slack, but I think the depending on what your role is. There shouldn't be. It shouldn't feel like an instant communication. And I think that's the that's the one biggest misconception where it's like if you send somebody to Slack, there shouldn't be an expectation of a um, instant response. Like only thing that gets instant responses, text me. If it's mission critical, text me. If not, put it in Slack, and I'll get to it when I get to it. Usually within twenty four hours, kind of thing. But again, that's do whatever you do for whatever is best for your company. But that has yeah. been. A much better
0: headspace for me and it's more productive. 100%. 100%. I'm going to do some of this more batch communication. I think it's dead on. I think another one I've seen companies do is like they'll have two slacks. One is like internal, one's external. They're communicating with any customers in there so that the customers can't kind of live in their like just business internal one. But again, like yep. everyone has their own way that they do they do everything. I think that's what's so fun about something like Notion is how configurable it is. It's like everyone's Notion is different. It's just like a same way everyone's DNA strands are different, except for your siblings. Like your Notion is going to be just specific to you and what you wow. do. Um, I think it's 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 magical, and frankly, it's it's one of the things I think all products should aspire to be is like be something that can be special for a, like a multifaceted group of people. And you will name your price for your business. Yeah.
2: I, I'll i push back a little bit there. I think, because you're right, they, they are like everything to everybody, which is like really crazy. Um, but they didn't start like that. And no. I think you need to yeah. start focused yeah. like a laser and then you can start to kind of spread your resources into different use cases, different TAMs, yeah. different segments of marketing. But I think if you try and do too much, too quick. One, you usually don't have the surprise and delight moments that you always talk about because they're not personalized enough or customized enough to solve the thing that you're doing. Um, And then the other thing is you just don't have a great customer feedback loop because people are so different and using it for so many different reasons that there's not a really great way to integrate customer feedback into the product roadmap because yeah. I want a car, I want a horse, I want a four wheeler. You guys just want a transportation. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll build a transportation network, and then you can choose what yeah. transportation system you want to use in Notion. And I think that's that's kind of the the, the same, same but different of what you're saying.
0: Yeah, I think what what's really fascinating that came up while you were talking is like there are these different, they're growth beachheads and it's really just dependent yeah. on your scale. So at the beginning, you have to choose a beachhead so that you can just have one target ICP because you you're don't. you under-resourced and under-capitalized to be able to answer for everything. Right? So you're saying, okay, I'm going to go after this subset of customers because I know that they love what we do. They're ravenous and they'll tell people about it and they're going to be great. They're LTV, blah, 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 blah. All the metrics that we're looking for as indicators that we have a really healthy business that can scale to the moon. The opposite yep. end is we buy Cron and the reason we bought it is we need a new beachhead of how to acquire new customers because we've acquired all the customers we can on current core pro or on the current iteration of the product. So we need to be able to expand horizontally because we've done all the vertical stuff that we can do. We need to be able to get more customers now. So it's like this is kind of a reverse beachhead where it's like, okay, we got to go find some new land because we have essentially expanded. We, we own this continent. We got to go to a new continent to expand the empire. Well, wow. I just did a Robism, dude. I like that. You, yeah, you just landed.
2: Now, totally, man, the, for me, it feels like uh, exactly what you're saying, where now they can pioneer in a different way. Where there was so many people that this was a huge hang up. Like, personally, for me, it was where I was like, God damn it, I have to like, command tab from Notion to my calendar to see what times that date, blah, blah, And I'm very, again, into Notion. But there's a lot of people that it was like one of my super nerdy friends who loves stuff like this. He's like, dude, I didn't want to commit to it because of the calendar issue. So not yeah. only do you get the current users even more happy, but you unlock some of these impediments that were these people weren't going to consume because of X or Y or Z reason. And now yeah. you alleviated that. So no, no. So I thought it was just...
0: Yeah, I love that. So I think this dovetails into our, our main topic in a really interesting way. So I don't know if anyone saw Envision, uh, which is like a design sketch type tool, uh, th- at one point was doing 100 million ARR, just shut down. Mm-hmm. And there was, this, uh, there was this Twitter thread um, by a guy, I think he was on Lenny's podcast recently, who uh, uh, owns a, bu- a bunch of different companies and they've been, they didn't raise any venture. And he was talking about essentially how Envision did it wrong. Right, so the the Envision CEO, I mean, what's his name, Clark Wahlberg wrote a response, and it was really, really thoughtful and really transparent. And I, first of all, I just like I, on a pure business business person, like I, there's a huge thank you for me about someone being so transparent about like the miss, yeah. like the things that they did wrong it was a share. So it's like it's good for the whole community. But I thought like the the thing that that came out from here was they got caught in the innovators' dilemma. And so I think, Rob, you want to explain that a little bit, but they essentially saw there was Figma, and then Photoshop started really leaning into all of their cloud-based tools, and yep. Envision got left by the in the dust because they already had really ravenous customers, and they didn't want to change anything for them. And so, I'm super curious, and we can go through some of his points that I think are super salient. But first, like, what is the innovator's dilemma, and how do you think it applies to this specific um, this specific case of Envision going from? You know, 100 million RR to zero. It's wild.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question because the, so, so I guess I need to start at the top. So Clay Christensen wrote this great book, Innovator's Dilemma. He also, he, Disruption Theory, he's he was just a G, wonderful human, uh, Harvard professor, just a, just a wonderful guy. Go watch his talks, go read all of his books. How You Measure Your Life is sensational as well. But the Innovator's Dilemma is, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but the whole premise is, so he used the example of uh, steel plant. And so there's these big, big steel plants, and they're going to make all this steel, blah, 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 blah. And then there was these little steel plants that were actually way less efficient, but it was cheaper steel, and they could just kind of make same-ish, but at, at fractions of the cost. And so what ended up happening is these little steel plants ended up basically taking over all the market share from the massive steel plants. And so another way to say that is if you can do something at 80% of the value if you can deliver something at 80% of the value for 20% of the cost that's quote unquote disruption the challenge is if you're the incumbent you don't want to fucking have those customers these are these are like if they were good customers they would be your customers already yep. and so you get to this place and the most pernicious part about the innovator's dilemma is the better the management is the worse the problem is it's just very paradoxical in that way. And so a few people have circumvented this. So Apple, for example, is a perfect Apple disrupted themselves. Apple had the iPod, really? fantastic, 5,000 songs in your pocket, blah, 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 blah. And then guess what? They dropped the iPhone, which is not only a direct competitor to the iPod, but it's a better experience. You have a cell phone, you have a music player, you have a webcam or a web browser. You remember the Steve Jobs, three things, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And so they disrupted themselves. They didn't wait for somebody to do that. Another example, Kodak. Kodak was so into the film. And uh, the guy uh, who, who's brilliant, gosh, I'm blanking on his name. He's brilliant, brilliant, amazing. Steve Jobs took a lot of inspiration from him. Um, Edwin, they just, Edwin Land. Edwin right? Land, thank you. Yeah, yeah. They just couldn't give up this cash cow of film. Yeah. And they, they just couldn't give it up. They actually developed digital cameras, but they did, their film business was so big that they didn't want to give that up. And so... It, it's really challenging. And a lot of times it's very hard politically. So Microsoft, for example, they didn't want to release Office on the Mac forever. Yeah. like it, it was a huge deal to do that, blah, blah, blah. And so there's just challenges to say, hey, I'm going to go spend all this money over here and not give resources to the sacred cow that's actually keeping the lights on. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's a very challenging decision to deal with. And it usually... Happens slower than you think and faster than you think. And by the time you know what's happening, it's over.
0: You know, what's funny. Think about two examples here. One, not so recent. You're talking about Apple. And it's funny. They've disrupted themselves like two or three times in their history. Well, and it's, it's a fascinating one. Steve Jobs was pushing. And, you know, they had Mac, or Mac 1 hit, Mac 2 shit. And then, you yep. know, over time he gets kicked out and then he comes back. And he starts with with some of those, you know the remember the colored colored yeah. Uh, yeah. laptops with the case. Kids won't know the about IMAX. that.
2: Yeah. yeah, the IMAX, Yeah, yeah.
0: and those were, those were hit. And then he comes out with like you said, the iPod, then the iPhone, iPad, um, Apple yeah. TV, and just a whole Apple host watch, of watch, Apple, AirPods, Apple Watch AirPods, AirPods the ecosystem. All these things that just like, beats. Ecos, ecosystem. Um, just an incredible. Their most magnificent thing, uh, their uh, their storage, their cloud storage, which is just they make so much money
2: on. Monster business,
0: dude. Oh, dude, I pay them ten bucks a month for two terabytes. It's like ridiculous, ridiculous. Just LTB. No, two
2: TV. terabytes, so, yeah.
0: The other one that's really interesting that I, we don't know how it's going to bear out, right? So we have a very kind of short-term time horizon on this, and it looks good right now. Is Meta shuttering uh, the metaverse? Right? I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, but it's like sometimes you can go down a rabbit hole where you're innovating too far ahead of the market and you spend a crazy amount of money. So like this is, there's a dichotomy here. You can be ahead. I've been ahead of the market, building something where the market isn't ready for it and the technology isn't ready for it. Metaverse is a perfect example of this. And I've been a part of where like, oh, it's just right time, right place, right time. You've been a part of right place, right time. Uh, Yes. And good product. it's just a really interesting interesting dichotomy. I think what I took from this Envision thing that was super salient to me was there is right product, right time. There is right product, wrong time. And then there is right product, but built on the top of a superior product during a certain amount of time. And it's like, okay, there's a huge amount of risk that is associated with being a part of that. And so Envision is not where design started. It's not where design starts it's where they go and like start doing extra work on top of the design and that's like okay that's not that's a that's like a feature right that's not a business right so for a while it was working but essentially once it was like okay we can just build this feature people started layering it in fig jam all this other stuff where people could collaborate it's like okay well we don't need envision anymore and they had never innovated to a point where they could actually do the thing that people wanted to do. And so it's a really interesting one because a lot of people, I think a lot of people, I've, I've done this, I've seen other people do this where you get really excited about an idea that's a feature, not a business and not a company. Yeah. And I think that's like the thing that I teased out of this one is like, if you're going to build a feature, understand the pathway to becoming a proper product like full feature set that allows you to own the customer journey and use that feature that gets you there as a beachhead like we talked we were just talking about like what's in a beachhead for them and so i think this was kind of the one where it's like you just get caught on that beachhead and you don't actually advance into the jungle or onto the battlefield
2: because you were right that's the problem like you were right exactly that's what i'm trying to say like the better the management is the worse the problem is because they're like what are you talking about I'm making so much money yeah. from this business. What do yeah. you mean? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like by the time they figure it out, it's it's too late. You don't have anything, and so I, dude, that's a really great example. I, I find it insanely fascinating, and it's uh, uh it's, you see it all the time, and it's so so interesting because there's one way to fix it. You buy stuff, so you saw yep. Facebook. Facebook hasn't invented anything in forever. I mean, they no, basically no. Snapchat's their R and D. And yeah. They bought Instagram, they <laughs> bought WhatsApp, they bought, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're yeah, just yeah. on this MA terror. They haven't innovated or built anything, but they understood, like, hey, that's a scary place. People are going to share pictures and that's going to take away from people being on the Facebook feed. You know what? A billion, a billion A billion, let's do it. Probably, yeah. I would say maybe YouTube or instagram is definitely up there the uh i forget the media network uh um, that, that was also up there incredible yeah. buys but that's one way to circumvent innovators dilemma is you just yeah. buy the competitors before they get too scary and so yeah. that you one they can't hurt you yeah. and two worst case you just kill them you yeah. know it's like hey i, I you bought complain? you out and killed you and I, at worst i bought more time because you have to go out and yeah. you know, reincubate the idea that I didn't want because... And so there's tons of times where yeah, you yeah. see companies defensive acquire, where it's like, dude, it's not really going to help my business. What it's going to do is it's going to fortify the gates where I'm putting forts on the beachhead. So these other fuckers can't put beachheads here. This is my Maginot line.
0: Yeah. Uber Eats bought Drizzly and they just, they just sunsetted it this week. But before they bought it, they didn't know how to deliver alcohol. So they essentially took all of the infrastructure, put it underneath their brand, which has a lot more, which has a lot more impact in the market and a lot more market share and said, All right, well, this brand isn't actually worth that much. We're sunsetting it. Thank you for showing us the pathway because we didn't know how to do it ourselves. Boom. Yep. So, so, many, well so many of them. So many of them get done like that. I mean, the other thing is that I mean no one really talks about all this shit's just a write down anyway. So it doesn't matter actually. Like when you have that much money on the coming in and on the books, like, you can make these bets and it's okay. And funny enough, you say about Meta, the last thing they innovated on was a fucking flop. So like, yeah, just keep on the MA tear. And like, it was an expensive flop, dude.
2: What they spent a fifty bill or something oh, on the metaverse? In, like, insane. That's unreal. Un- that's insane. so much money.
0: I mean, the funniest. I mean, though, not to go down on a tear on on Zuck, uh, goat of goats. But I mean, if you looked at the like the way the metaverse looked, it just looked like a uh, you know Sims with a few mods on it. Like it was not a, it was not like you're seeing some of this like photorealistic AI that's coming out of these systems now. Like it didn't look like that, which I would have been way more down for if it had some sort of um, if it looked like that. Uh, but no, it's. Uh, I completely agree with
2: you. Well, I think the other challenge that a lot of people face, myself included, and I'm sure this was probably a little bit of Zuck as well, which I do I, I think is top three CEO. I mean, yes. he's, what they did defies the like business physics, like the laws of business physics. To cut that much headcount and burn and still grow that much revenue, it just doesn't happen. Like so hundred no. percent goaded. But so there's something called supply side innovation. Yeah. And what that means is you're just building something for yourself. There's no demand for this thing. Yeah. Just because you can build it, you're bringing supply online, but there's (laughs) no demand to bring this supply. And so supply side innovation is one of the worst things you can do because you build something super awesome that nobody wants. And so you have to be very, very careful. And so for me, the metaverse was the perfect example of supply side innovation where he was building out, like, what he built was incredible. but be like, oh, cared about
0: Bananas. Bananas. I think there's, like, it's funny because I think there, are, I mean, there's obviously subsets of any of these things. Like, for me, one of the su- subsets of supply-side innovation is, like, based on things that you're seeing with your customers, you have a hypothesis that this new feature will plug into an ecosystem that you already have that makes sense. But when you essentially go off, into no man's land and you're like we're just going to build something and we're just going to put it into our ecosystem you can say like oh well it's kind of a, like a, a three-dimensional version of a social network yeah maybe maybe like I, I don't know how much that like if you explain that to a 12 year old they would tell you to fuck off that makes no sense like he, you and i could reason it out <laughs> but a kid would be super honest with you, like bro that's that's not how this works for me, that's it's something I, I think about a lot. Is if I explained it to a kid, would they get why it's important? Um, or if I explained it to a teenager who's maybe not as business savvy, but they understand the way of things. And I've tested this on my younger brother when I'll explain like businesses that we're working on or talking to or etc. And sometimes he gets them, sometimes he doesn't. When he gets it, it's like okay. First, they've got their they've got the way that they communicate with the world down, so they're kind of like go to market messaging. But also, maybe just maybe this isn't something that actually has any, it makes any meaningful difference in the world, like at a large scale. Yeah. I think there are companies that are not meant to be, I don't think anyone wants to say this, but there are companies that are not meant to be billion dollar companies, man. Like that's the I, ugly truth in the room here.
2: There was this great gal that I used to follow named Maren Kate. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she was this, this really up and comer, just absolute crusher woman CEO, just fucking killing it, right? She started this uh virtual VA service called Zirtual. Yeah, fucking crushing it. They raised a boatload of money. There was like 24 months of runway in the bank. I mean, the board was all killers. I mean, it was just everything on paper, as perfect as you can get. It went out of business in six months. And she had like yeah. a big breakdown, blah blah blah, fell off the radar, yada yada, and finally came back. And this is exactly what she said. She was like, This was a great business. This was $100 $200 a hundred to two hundred million dollar year. Bit like this is a great business, but this was the time of the unicorns, and I just kept getting pushed. Like you need to think bigger. You need like we need to. It needs to be a billion dollars. It needs to be two billion dollars. And to your point, dude, I'm five ten. I tell the girls I'm five eleven. I ain't playing in the NBA. And there's no. just certain anatomies to your business that oh. unless you change the anatomy of your business or the physics around your economics you're going to be what you're going to be. And, uh, the faster you can accept that, the better it is. But the challenge is when you take VC money, and again, nothing wrong with raising money, but with that money comes obligations. You also have loud voices that can say things that might not actually be accurate, where you just have this drunk, rich uncle that gets into the party and he gets to yell at everybody because 20%. he's paying for the party and you put up with it. But yeah. So I think that's the challenge is when you raise money, it gets into some really interesting places because if you don't have that champion at the fund, you can get essentially strong arms into taking your business down paths that you don't think are actually worthwhile to go down. And to be fair, that's, they bought the right to do that. Unless you're like oh, a Travis yeah. Kalanick where you just say, fuck off or it's like, what a G! Google put in, I think, a hundred million. He wouldn't even send a fucking uh, investor update. <laughs> like TCK. Um, no, I mean, I think this Camper is this appellate. is like spot if on. I can get Completely spot on. As uh, uh, a, a startup, people... I'm coming back as one of them. They got to play startup. They got to do all the fun shit, and then when all the kind of the serious stuff happened, they just walk away with billies Well, I oh, think to be fair, Newman only a little over a Billy, but he burnt like I think forty. Like what yeah. a G! Like he, yeah, yeah, he yeah, yeah. yeah, Spend four or five billion of investor money, and then yes. you still walk away with a Billy. Like what a <laughs> And and you Absolutely. raise I mean again? To be honest
0: a with you, like what a G! We work yeah, the Newman. brand is still very durable. We work the business is not. I think that's a. I don't know. Like we're we're talking about this innovators dilemma. I think it's super interesting to think about. Like WeWork is another interesting kind of case study that goes along with that, which is, you know, you're not doing anything new, but you have a new kind of swing to it, and you're doing something that everyone else is doing. You're just your biz, Your economics have to work, and so
2: that was their big challenge. And I think it's actually doing well now. The, I I should have bought some. They. Uh, well, I don't even know if I had access. Only rich people do but they sold off a bunch of their debt and well, it's actually they? worth a shit ton of money now. Uh, or no, I'm, I'm complaining. We work, I'm thinking of FTX. We work the great thing about we work. And there was, I think it's like Prop G or somebody, but he said, uh, it's usually the third person that owns the hotel that makes money. And so we work's yeah. kind of that version because what happens is with real estate, there is a ton yeah. of, Basically, legal coverage for you if you go bankrupt. So I can go to you Chase and say, yeah. "Hey, I don't have any money, and I'm paying you ten thousand dollars a month for this building. Do you want to rent it to me for five thousand, or I'm going to walk because I just I can't pay it?" And so what they can do is basically what you're talking about. What we're talking about is now they're changing the physics, the economics of their business because they're cutting all the fat. Because they had a bunch of profitable locations, but they had a bunch. They just expanded so much that they had these little chintzy locations that just didn't help yeah. kill all that stuff renegotiate all this stuff and it because frankly especially travel it's a fantastic service i think the biggest challenge yeah. they have though and, and push back on this but and, and we saw this at triple whale when i was there they have the stepping stone problem where once you get to a certain run rate like i'm just gonna go get an office or i'm gonna go buy a building or something yeah. like for example uh, i'm just making up numbers here but when i first started at triple where we're literally in like one of the little offices maybe like 300 dollars a month it was literally aj max yeah. right and then we moved into the bigger office and then we got we started buying like a little constellation of all the desks around and then finally we were just so big that i was like okay we need to figure something out and so this was in columbus ohio columbus ohio the flagship suite in the WeWork work was the whole floor like it was it was Gorgeous, but it's like fifty k oh. a month or something like that, and they couldn't rent it out for like two or three years or. I mean, it's it, nobody wanted to rent it, and then they finally gave it to Triple for like absurd, absurdly cheap. But my point being, when you get into yeah. these high price points, you start to think like, dude, for fifty k a month, like let's just go buy an office and customize it or something like, that. and we can have our yeah, own yeah. bathrooms, we have our own building, we have like, 100%. and so I think that's the challenge with WeWork is. You never got the meaty, the real money. You never got the first class citizens. You were always this little kind of upstart where it, there's no reason to. If I'm a big company, I'm never going to be at a WeWork because not only the economics of sound no. work, like I don't control my brand. I'm in this kind of like co working hostel space, which is fun. Yeah. But like once I have money, I'm going to go get an apartment or I'm going to go get i I'm not going to live in the dorms anymore. And so I think that's, that was yeah, for me yeah, the yeah. biggest pull in the WeWork model was, once you help me grow my business, then I'm going to go take my money elsewhere. And it, it kind of sucks, but I, I don't know what the solve would be for them there. But that that's just kind of my little pontification on their business model.
0: I think you just have to know who your customers are and not try to win customers that don't fit with your business model. Like, I think that's a, I, yeah. I mean, it's not a, it's not something SoftBank would want to hear. Right, like, hey, we're not going to go after all the customers in every location that we can in the, in the um, world. Um, but it, it it is the truth, though. You said this is like you're not going to get first class citizens. No company should pay you fifty thousand dollars a month for a location when you're going to have to still share a decent amount of the space with another place. You, bathroom, you know you're paying. You no sink. Yeah, and you're paying you're paying VIG on top of it, right? Like it's not you're not getting. You know you're giving your landlord margin on what they give you. So you so, know if you're going to a WeWork you're giving double margin to it. Okay, it's it's appointed well. Well, okay, over a 12-month window for your lease or 24-month window. You're telling me I don't make back that margin and multiple based on just furnishing it myself? Like absolutely. And it's customized to my brand. So like I think you shouldn't try to if your entire business is arbitrage with nice furniture, you're fucked. You know what I mean? Like the the
2: community that's which we, landed a little bit but once yeah. you start taking subsidies out, once you start... Uh, uh, yeah, you're absolutely
0: right. My whole call out to this was like the biggest player in the space that had more office space than them was, I think, Industrious or someone yeah. else. And their market cap was $3 billion. Yeah. So how do you justify a 13x on valuation against simply... I mean, there's like it's like it's God, company, brand right? equity plus kind it's of just marketing.
2: Community-based. Yeah,
0: India. it's literally... Inc- <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> I think that's a, it's that, that guy, what a legend. envision everyone like these uh, innovators dilemma. I think one of the big ones that it, all the innovators dilemma comes down to in my mind is really understand the jobs to be done of your customer. It is literally the <laughs> own, what are they hiring you for? It is if you know what they're hiring you for, don't get caught up in the weeds. I can tell you some stories about some shit I've been working on lately where it's like, okay, this is cool. And, Yes, they want it, but need is the reason they won't churn. Maybe they engage more and they get deeper and they could expand because of the things that they want. But your need or your job to be done is what makes you hopefully unchurnable based on the economics. And like that need and that job to be done is a function of the economics against what their business can do. It's what you said, 80%. If someone comes in doing 80% of what you do for 20% of the cost, you're fucked. And so if you can kind of always it's like this it's a total dissonance all the time um, but I saw that with with envision I think like I've used it it's a, it's a great product but I think if you're built on top of something and you have you're essentially icing not cake yep. or your your potatoes not steak like you're always going to be fucked because everyone's looking for the main course that's actually going to give them fuel for the day or going to be the thing that holds up like icing by itself is disgusting you can have one spoon and you're like that's too much sugar but when it's layered around a cake you're like okay this this works this works i don't want too much of it and similarly when you're built on the back of other platforms it's why zapier is such an interesting thing it connects it's the connective tissue of so many different companies it's like okay how are they innovating it's like well they essentially allow you to be able to every software in the world to be able to talk to each other and oh by the way any person on the street can read a knowledge doc and watch a video and set up a zap if i can set up a zap anyone can set up a zap you know what i mean Similar notion, like once you get in there, it's like, oh, okay, this is not that hard to use, boom, boom, boom. Uh, and I think that's, um, that's what's super interesting about what happened to them. What we're talking about is, here's a question for you about this. In this world of challenging market dynamics and consolidation of SaaS, now that we've kind of gone on our pontification about this stuff, what does a company do now in this market Trying to innovate, but also take care of their current customers. If like they're resource constrained, because I think a lot of the companies that listen to us are kind of in that seed A B area where they're still tight on resourcing. How do you think about that? Because it's a really it's a really big challenge.
2: Honestly, for me, I think the best thing you can do, and you know, it's challenging if you're resource constrained, but find great product people. Man. Like that's that's really. Really find great product people that can see where the puck's going, and then also make sure you have really like like you said your little beachhead analogy. Once you have your beachhead, stop listening to you and go talk to your customers to really understand what the jobs to be done are. Because what can happen is certain people might have different jobs to be done. So maybe you go HubSpot model, and maybe you break every fucking thing out on the planet, which I hate, but it's a phenomenal business. Or maybe you concentrate it where it's like, dude, all this other fluff is getting in the way. Let's just go. We're going to be the best at this thing. People are hiring us to do this thing. All this other stuff is distractions. And it's actually degrading from the brand and the product because when, like, this is actually a a funny little uh, mental thing. But the reason they list 78 million things on the uh, medicine commercials is because as you list more and more things, you essentially take the average of those things. And so I was, like, oh, I'm going to bleed out of my butthole, blah, 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 Like, that's a big deal versus bleed out of your butthole. You might have a headache. You might get it. And you stack all these things together. Now it's like, oh, you yeah, know, that doesn't sound that bad. No, and bad. so you can no have worries. that if you have this. Yeah. And so you, but that's the same thought process when you have 7 million features where it's just like, uh-huh. well, that's, it's, those features aren't that powerful for me because even every feature is worth 10 points. I'm going to take the average of that versus. Yeah being additive when you have three to five features or I'm this job to be done or that job to be done, you can yeah. truly value it versus averaging all the value where it's actually worth more when you have it stacked in a, a more precise and smaller count versus having every yeah. single thing that you do.
0: Yeah, it's it's a funny one. you mentioned this, I'm thinking of myself as a customer, when I go onto a page and they don't have 25 features, I kind of, I have this little hesitation, like what the fuck is this thing? Like, why doesn't it have that? And I think to your point, it's like, well, some companies are are just rigorously focused on doing two to three things incredibly well. And actually, we should celebrate that because we'll probably end up having a better product experience and or we'll know how to get the thing done. Because a lot of these companies, when they get, you essentially build too much on top of yourself, which is the UX gets completely fucked because it's like 10 different teams over the course of five years have built a product and there's no actual synergistic way that all of these things should work together as an ecosystem. We're talking about like an ecosystem play. I've seen, I mean, we've used products like this, right? Where you're just like, okay, well, we'll do this. Okay, this team is doing it. And the team that built this UX, we're going to keep the wireframes. We're also going to add this thing in. We're not thinking about how it works with our customers and how they interact. And you're like, I had an experience recently like this. Like,
1: what the fuck? Who, who shipped this
0: fucking thing?
2: Like, who actually yeah. shipped this? So no, I, com- I completely agree. How can I argue? It's my favorite when I'll go to a site and then I'll get hit with like two absolutely orthogonal pop-ups. I'm like, oh yeah, two different product managers running the same test on me. Yeah. This is awesome. Like the right hand ain't talking to the left. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh,
0: this is one of the things that I still don't understand why no one has built, which is I plug in whatever channels that I have uh, running. Say e-commerce companies, so I got Intercom or I have Clavio, and then I have uh, Sienna and I have whatever else, I, you know, I have um, PostScript, whatever I use to essentially communicate with my customers. Why is there not something that gives me a timeline of how the every month or week looks for different cohorts? And it's like, oh, by the way, they get overlapped like this. It's like, well, you're ruining their customer experience by simply like that. Like you said, those two pop-ups. Dude, this happens way more than people think it does. because No one is inspecting. The thing, the test that everyone is shipping, there is no kind of source of truth for all of those things, unless the company enforces it in something like a notion. And how many people are actually checking that database to see what's live and what's not? It's like a, it's a place where things go to die. It's a really interesting one. Like to, I guess my answer on the the whole, how do you innovate? Is like what you said. You got to talk to your customers and really understand what they want. You've got to, you have to allocate engineering bandwidth to those things if they are engineering problems. And so 100%. it's the same way you say like oh 10% of your meta ads budget should be allocated to new tests and then the rest is scaling or whatever your whatever yeah. Taylor Holiday says is supposed to be. And then same thing with engineering. Devote 10% of your time or give yourself like an experimentation team that's going to go work yes. on new on new shit because you, I think that's I, a that's a really interesting part. Because my whole idea is this, if you spend 10% of your time per month over the course of a year, just on experimentation, the compounding effect of that is you will find two to three things that cut through and maybe one of those three things actually has really meaningful impact. But if you only experiment, then you don't actually take care of your core business. You churn out all the customers that you have. If you only take care of your core business, you actually never find any new thing that you can do. And you're in a place where your capital constraints, you can't go acquire new customers, you can't go acquire Cron, right, to get new customers. So you have to create them. And the only way to create them is either market, like mad, so it's what's uh, early to bed, early to rise. if you don't have money, you can't do that. Exactly, exactly. So like the only generative way you can do that is create new features that either expand your current customers. Or bring you net new customers. And so you got to really experiment yes. with that. And again, I, I always say it's like it's easy to spend pe- other people's money. What I would kind of counter to that is do you really have an option not to spend the money?
2: No. no. The biggest challenge, though, I think is again, going, and I don't hate VCs. I actually want to be a VC. I want to be an investment banker. But the challenge is you start to have bookends where yeah. you have this thing that where it's like, I might want to pivot or do, because I have, $30, $40 million in the bank or something like that. I have $10 million. What we're doing now is not working. But I can't have two negative quarters of growth. Like the board will fire me, the company yeah. will cru- and even though I'm super capitalized. And yeah. so it's a weird dynamic because the whole point of having that money is optionality. Yeah. But you don't have the optionality because you have the pressure from the board. Yeah. yeah. Which is, it's such a, a mindfuck. And that's the whole point of not being a public company. It's like I don't have to be beholden to quarterly earnings.
0: Yeah, well, it's really funny, actually. You know the, the the old saying: "Strong men make easy times; easy times make weak men." Or, you know, people. If you want to be more egalitarian, is the all the people who came up in uh, ecom or uh, or or tech over the last say five years leading up to 2022 had easy times, right? And yeah, I'm sure every single person who went through 2008 and 2000 was looking at them like fucking idiots right like just chill out don't take the money or get yourself in a really strong capital position because you need to prepare for winter right and yep a lot the people who have succeeded to their credit they built durable anti-fragile businesses or they were able to pivot and and get themselves in line with the way that they're allocating capital so like kudos to them but i mean a shitload of
2: people was a company Think yeah. we started as a drum
0: company. Yeah, exactly. And so I think like the best thing you can do on two things is innovate, have a nice little crack team working on it, and just make sure, like you're saying, don't be dependent on the cash unless you have to be because you're the optionality is actually not optionality. Like you have bosses. Um, yeah. and so
2: I always want my. And there's trade offs though. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. There's trade offs, like yeah. especially in like a SaaS business where you can deploy that capital mm-hmm. in a myriad of ways. Like. Really meaningfully, go buy a bunch of expensive engineers, bolster some marketing efforts, hire up some really strong retention lifecycle growth people. Like, th- there's ways that you can spend that money quasi efficiently and effectively. Whereas, uh, that's why I'm just not super bullish on C2C brands as VC targets. Yeah. I just don't think a lot of VC brands have a ton of capital constraints. I think they have market constraints. And so, because yeah. especially if you're making money, you can go do like a Wayfire or revenue-based finance. Like there's yeah. ways to get money without diluting your stock. Like there's all these things. So I just haven't, I mean, I can't think of any really incredible D C exits.
0: No, I mean, every, every single right? person there's, who has there's, gone there's, to public bomb. markets, Our, you know, all, every, 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 all people have gone to public markets have, um, except for Lulu. And what's the company with, the, uh, the drinkware and the, um,
2: yeah. Is, so simple it's, modern. Yeah. Oh, Yeti. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those,
0: those are the only two DTC companies. They're now in stores, obviously, and have, have their own stores as well. Um, but they're the only two ones I can think that are e com original natives that, is, that had that any sort of success well. in public markets. Everyone Under else been, yeah, the, everyone else has been mm-hmm. real shit. But those were really good businesses before they hit public markets. It wasn't like they needed to the hit public markets to get capital to grow again.
2: And neither of them hockey stick.
0: No, they just walked up the mountain. Oh, it's very almost like I almost think of uh, like Lululemon when you look at the. It's like Disney. It just kind of keeps going up Is and it, up and up and up and up. And there's this like
2: twenty year or over yeah, success. It's a twenty point, year. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I will say Warby has had some uh, interesting last couple of quarters. Like they've been doing a much better job with their business and kind of changing their model. So I've, I've been watching. I've been watching them. So I have a couple of friends over there. But like everyone else, it's like just it's just it's a bloodbath. It's hard. It's hard. It's, it's a bloodbath. It's what I said. It's like uh, D2C companies uh, make more sense for PE just based on what PE expects yes. back in the time horizons. Uh, tech yep. makes more sense or consumer some sort of consumer apps where they can get a uh, you know ten million users in the course of a year or two. Those are the only 100%. things that make sense for me with VC. Like this kind of consumable, I don't see a pathway where it's interesting enough. For venture capitalists to actually put in money, so yeah, man, this was uh, this was great. What are you reading right now? What's interesting to you? What, what have you been consuming recently?
2: I have not been good about reading stuff. What have I been reading? I'm doing uh, a little fantasy stuff. So uh, Kingkiller Chronicles, fantastic. Oh, of uh, Patrick yeah. office but I won't recommend this to people because he's it's been like ten years or something. He still hasn't released uh, uh, as a trilogy, and so he's been releasing almost like dot updates. So we released like a, a little four hour book or something like that. So I'm reading that, and then there was uh, there's one. What was I reading? It's uh, Oh Super Forecasters by yeah. uh, Phil Tetlock. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a pretty interesting one if you're into that uh, kind of economics forecasting kind of thing. Uh, yeah. A little dry, but uh, it, it's definitely very dense. I guess is a, a yeah. more lighter adjective.
0: I just finished Trillion Dollar Coach, fun fun book about I can't find forgetting his name, RIP. He essentially was, he was the CEO of Intuit for a few years. And then he was oh, wow. the coach of like Steve Jobs and uh, Satya. Bill Campbell. Yeah, Bill Campbell. Exactly. This guy, freaking legend. Oh, this uh, looks good. Uh, oh, it's it's really good. It's really fast. Super breezy read. Essentially, you you and I will love it because it's just about how to unlock people through being a good person, listening and like having having good vibes. A lot more eloquent than what I just said, but I, I thought it was a yeah. it was a fun read. And I'm reading, um, business wise, four steps to the epiphany, which nice. is which is super interesting about how to like build a meaningful meaningful product. And to be honest with you, I've I've been really focused on catching up on all the newsletters that I missed. I I got on a very kind of business history run where I stopped reading. I was just listening to like the whole back catalog of Acquired. Um, yeah. So I good. just watched the NFL episode. So like, oh, it's just it was so good. So good. listen to so many of those, so many of those episodes. Um and so obviously I'm assigning you got me into it, but I got my mom to listen to the Porsche one. She was like, oh my god, this is incredible. And she started listening to a bunch of them as well. So I've been listening to that a lot. Shout out brand new owner, owner as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The old taxes Uh so yeah, man. Uh those are the things I've been I've been listening to. I haven't read anything for like Pleasure Pleasure recently. Like, it's all been yeah. kind of like, how do I up level myself? But I'm kind of pissed that I haven't found anything. I've started. I don't know if anyone goes in goes through this, and this is like a little diatribe here. Does anyone ever like start books and not finish them? They're like, ah, dude, I just can't get through this. I've started oh, yeah, I've started probably in the last six months for pleasure eight books and gotten to page like 75 and i just am like i don't i'm not that inter- like I, I know the plot like i know what's gonna happen i'm not i'm not that interested i finished all the business books nothing for pleasure so i'm trying to find that next uh that next one that takes me into the night uh that i can't sleep with who knows who knows what i, it. I'm gonna I get, it. yeah
2: no i don't think there's anything wrong with cutting the book off you should yeah. use your time what makes you happy
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I used to force myself to finish them. And it's like, no, nah, dude, <laughs> I'm done with all that. Yeah. 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 You get older, yeah. you learn. You get older and you learn. Yeah. YouTube, by the way, is uh, slowly but surely on the back end. There are some mm-hmm. videos coming. So everyone that will drop, Ooh. we will see our two more awesome. faces than me. So we'll, we'll be having that. That's going to be really exciting. What else you got for him?
2: We got the Geometry Growth Newsy from Fermat, where the, the main money comes from. Uh, go check that out, and then what else I got for you? Yeah, just kind of working on these little cool side projects, a little yeah. notion thing. Uh, watching you build your empire over at uh, the Creative OS. You're, I can't believe Sean and Taylor didn't even invite me. You guys are doing uh, a How We Buy with the Auto Boys.
0: Well, so Not I was kids. I was thinking uh, this, is a, this is a spoiler at the end. I was thinking of having a couple Easter egg people that I was going to hit up today and tomorrow and I was going to invite you. No, no, absolutely. I told Dylan, I'm like, yo, I think we should have some Easter eggs for people who actually want to show and I'm going to tease that. A little cameo? A little
2: little Robin cameo? Yeah, yeah. A
0: little little cameo might actually hit your cameo link uh, and uh, get you to show up. Can you imagine, by the way, if cameo would allow you to get some of the celebs to pop on webinars just for lols? That's funny. That would actually, something, I would do that for sure. I would for, get like one sure. of the guys. There
2: from the was some, yeah, that'd be great. There was something, I have to find the tweet We can link in the show notes, but there was some crypto exchange um, and the guy was just this fake CMO or CEO or something like that. It was crazy, and he was doing cameo videos and everything. Made a ton of money, and he didn't even exist. It was so cool.
0: <laughs> hey man, the one thing one thing that is uh, true from time immemorial is everyone will find a new way to make money. And Shoot I, your I, shot. I'm here for it. All right, until next time, uh, share this with your friends and um, let us know how we can do better.
2: Yeah, thank you for having us. Uh, blast into your ears. Sorry, AO had some uh, technical issues. His computer overloaded with uh, uh, Portland's sexiest man search. And so yeah. he had to get uh, some heat breakers and the power change. But uh, he'll be back next week. And uh, Chase, brother, always a pleasure, man.
0: Yeah, you too, man. This is great. Thank you. Bye.